You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Okay, so the goal of today's sermon is you thirsty. Now, when Thomas was leading, he prayed that today, when you leave the service, you would be full. All right? That's not what I want. All right? So, so thank you, Thomas. It's half of what I want. Okay? It's half of what I want. I want you to leave full, but I also want you to be hungry. Can you do both of those at the same time? Can you be full and hungry at the same time? Imagine that I told you that there's a restaurant that I went to. It's not far away from here. It has the best food I've ever eaten in all the world. It's better than that buffet right there. It is so delicious. And what was so amazing about this food is that as I ate it and as I enjoyed it, not only was I getting full, but at the same time, I could keep on eating and not stop, and not throw up. And I enjoyed it. I could just keep going on and on and on as long as I want to. And they have the best drinks I have ever had. They were so delicious, so refreshing. Unlike any flavors I've ever tasted before, unlike any refreshment that I've ever had within myself, it was absolutely amazing. And the same thing was true. I could keep on drinking and still be thirsty and still be satisfied. My thirst was quenched, and yet at the same time, I could keep on drinking. And as I drank and as I ate, I just wanted more and more. Would you go to that restaurant? Well, the theme on this restaurant, on their window, it says satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Jesus is promising us something here about food and drink and satisfaction. Open up with me to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Very simple. We're in the Beatitudes. And for our first eight messages, we're just looking at each verse and each blessing that God promises to give. And then we'll be going through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount a little faster after that. But here we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God is making a promise here. He is promising your satisfaction for your soul and for your heart. All of us naturally get hungry. In fact, that's very important for us to stay alive. We need to have a good appetite. In fact, usually a good appetite is a sign of good health. God wants us to have good health. And we naturally also have a desire for happiness or blessedness. That also is very normal. So it's normal to have a physical appetite, and it's also normal to have an appetite for meaning and purpose in life, 
for a happiness that happens within ourselves that gives us a certain delight because we received what we yearn for. Now, we have no choice, of course, about food. We have to eat food. But we do have a choice as to what we will pursue in life that we think will make us happy. We do have to make a choice to understand how we can get full and satisfied with a life of meaning. That leads to happiness. That leads to satisfaction. That leads to you feeling like, you know what? My life is full. My life is meaningful. I want to have that kind of hunger. And that's the desire that God has for you and me together as well. That we would understand how is it that we get this hunger. Well, the first thing that we want to ask ourselves is this question. What is the origin of our hunger? What's the origin of our hunger? Well, we already talked about it a little bit, and that is that we were made hungry. We were born hungry. We needed to eat to live. We need to eat to have health. We were made to eat food. At the same time, we were also made to have meaning in life. God made us so that we would want meaning more than just meat. God wants us to know that this is how he has made us. And so in Ecclesiastes 3.11, would you read this verse with me? Together. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay, turn to the person on the left or right and say, you have eternity inside of you. Okay, now ask that person, what does that mean? What does that mean, that we have eternity inside of us? You just said it to your friend, to your neighbor. Well, eternity is a desire for life. God has put something inside of us that we want to live and have meaning forever. And now it begins. God has made his time for life right now. And for you and for I, we are already blessed because we have the opportunity to do this. We have no excuse not to pursue this eternity in our heart. In Psalm 42, the psalmist says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In the lives of every person, there is this eternal desire to find meaning. And the Bible says that that is there because God put it there. But God also says he is the one who fills it. He is the one that gives us that meaning. He is the one that gives us that thirst. He is the one that gives us that hunger to say, I want my life to make a difference. I want to find satisfaction in my life. I want to feel significant in my life. I'm longing for it. I need it. I want it. And so many people never find it. And I hope that that won't be any of us. But maybe right now some of us might be saying, you know what, I, I do have 
a hunger in my life for something that isn't fulfilled. I do have a yearning in my life for something that means more to me than just eating and drinking. I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. I, even though I have a good job, I don't just want to go to work and come home and go to work and come home and live for the weekends and then go back to work on Monday. I don't want to just go to school and study so I can get a job and then do that and work on Monday through Friday and then go home and then get back up on Monday and go back to work and just live for the weekends. I don't want to just vacation and live and just see all these sights all around the world even though that's fun. I want my life to be more than Disneyland. I want my life to be more than fun and games. Is your life more than that? Is there more to our lives, God is saying, than food and drink and work and school and money and things? Is there meaning in my life? I truly believe all of us have this longing for fulfillment that this world cannot give us. But it doesn't mean we can't get it. It's just simply that this world cannot give it to us. C.S. Lewis says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God has made us to make a difference and to your memory in eternity for things that will last beyond this world. I want to make a difference. God has put it in us because God himself is eternal. God's desire is that we would live with him forever in eternity. And so he puts a hunger in us for himself. That's how it began. But now... I want to know what causes me to hunger for this right things. What causes me in this world to hunger for the things that will last forever? It's not always natural. In fact, as long as things are going well in our life, we usually don't seek it. Good things in our life is actually an enemy at times to us for the best things in life. Good things in life are oftentimes the enemy for the best things in life. Because what happens is we can be too easily satisfied. We can be too easily made to be content. But God wants us to have more. God wants to cause in us a hunger for things that are eternal. So there's four things that I think of that help us to want to have the right kind of hunger. And even though they're not pleasant... They're real, and everybody experiences them. And the first one is emptiness. Maybe you think about it. If you just take some time and sit and think and say, is my life really making a difference? Am I finding meaning in all that I'm doing? Do I count? There's an hollowness maybe inside, a desire to go out and look for something, a desire to go out and try to find it maybe somewhere else. I remember this one person once said, I went to Europe to find myself. And maybe you've heard that saying, people just go traveling. And so this person went traveling and said, I went to Europe to find myself, but I wasn't there. 
And a lot of times we go places and we think, this will be it. This will do it. This will satisfy me, but it doesn't. And that's the second thing that will often come and help us to think about what is the purpose of my life? How can I do the things that truly make a bigger difference than just what is good for me? This feeling like, you know what? There must be more to life. There must be more to life. I got what I thought I needed. I got money. I got power. I got love. I got into the school I wanted. I once knew somebody, a young person, um, who their parents were grooming him to go to the best schools in the world. Okay? And a lot of you, you know, probably have that same parent. And um, they wanted him to get into Harvard, Stanford, all these great schools. Well, he, they pushed and they pushed and they pushed. And he followed and he followed and he followed. And he got into Harvard. And he was so happy. And he came to me. He was at our church. And he came to me and he goes, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Kurt, I got into Harvard. And I said, congratulations. And I says, how did it feel? And he goes, it felt really great for about five minutes. And now it's just another thing to do. It's not to say we shouldn't want to go to great schools. It's not to say we shouldn't go to Harvard. In fact, I know we have some Harvard grads here. I know we have some Berkeley grads here. I know we have some Stanford grads here. So, you know, it's okay. All right. <laughs> Don't shoot me. Right. But is it satisfying? Is it satisfying? Remember the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? They're blessed because when they're poor, they feel empty. When they're blessed, when they're poor, they feel dissatisfied. What are they going to get? They're going to get the kingdom of heaven, eternity, eternity in our hearts. It is the desire that God has for us to allow our poverty of spirit. That feeling of emptiness is not a bad thing. As long as we go and try to seek to fill it with the right thing. It's not bad to be dissatisfied as long as we find satisfaction in the right things. But it's not fun. The third thing that certainly is not fun, I think, that causes us to want to hunger for more in life are crises that happen. They can be internal crises. They can be external crises. In fact, I would say that of the four that... I'm going to share with you here. This one has done more to move me closer to God than anything else. Because ever since I graduated from high school, I have faced multiple crises in life. It has caused me to doubt. It has caused me to have faith. It's caused me to wander. It's caused me to be found again. But in those times, I felt something wasn't right. Certainly something was wrong with the situation. I wondered, was I right with God? Is that why this problem happened? Did I do a mistake? Was it sin? I knew something wasn't right with the world because there was illness and there was sickness afflicting myself and my family, things that we couldn't control. And some of you have faced tragedies that you never, ever would have chosen for yourself, an accident, an illness. Something happened tragically that put you into a crisis. And it is those things that can be turned to good 
And it can cause us to hunger. The fourth thing, this one really isn't any fun, is guilt. But again, it's not a bad thing if it leads us to the right thing. And guilt is, well, you know what it's like. It's, it's the feeling you just can't get away. It's like a thorn stuck in your heart. You did something and you wish you didn't do it. And you went into it going, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't do this. I'm going to feel bad if I do it. I really shouldn't do it. And then you do it. And we've all been there. And I've been there. And God says that those are the times that remind us that we really don't have as much control in this world as we think we have. We can't even control ourselves. How can we control anything else? And so if we realize this, we realize that we have sin. And now I feel guilty because I need God, but I've sinned. And will God accept me? I am getting further and further down as I look at all these things. And as I, I look at it, I go, Jesus, you know, this wasn't a very populous way of, of trying to get followers. To tell people that it's blessed to be poor, that it's blessed to mourn. And, and that's the second beatitude, right? Blessed are those who mourn. And we mourn when we're in crisis. And we mourn when we feel guilt. And Jesus doesn't want us to mourn, but he knows that we have sin later on. In, in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 29. And what does Jesus say? He says this. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, what do you do? You close it? No. You gouge it out. And then he says in verse 30, if your hand causes you to stumble, what do you do? Put it behind your back. Put it in your pocket. No, cut it off. Jesus Wants us to be serious about sin. We're going to look at that later. But obviously Jesus doesn't expect you to go get a knife and take out your eyeball. Or use that knife and cut off your arm. But he's telling you, I want you to be serious about sin. And again, you know, this is not fun. Does this give you a good appetite? When um, my oldest was young. And, um, you know, like with all kids, they don't like vegetables, right? So you sort of got to do things to try to trick them to eat it. You know, tell them it's candy and it doesn't work because they try it and they, you know, oh, it tastes terrible. And so you just got to find ways to eat, get them to eat it. One day, my dad and mom were up and we were having a family meal. And uh, my son was sitting next to my dad. And my dad looked down on his plate halfway through the meal. And he noticed there were some vegetables on his plate that weren't there when he began. And so he just took an eye and he realized that my son was putting his vegetables on my dad's plate. And so then my dad sort of teased him and caught him and said, hey, what are you doing? And my son looked up at my dad and he said, eat it. It's good for you. Because <laughs> that's what we always tell them, right? Eat it. It's good for you, right? Nobody likes vegetables to start out with. Nobody likes to be empty. Nobody likes to be dissatisfied. Nobody likes to be in crisis. Nobody likes to experience guilt. But Jesus says, I want you to eat it. I want you to taste it. And then I want you to do something about it. See, Jesus and parents and pastors have the same problem. We have to talk about the vegetables for your health. 
We have to talk about sin so you don't get hurt. And, and this isn't something we like, but it's necessary. C.H. Spurgeon, the great pastor from the late 19th century in England, said this. We cannot be truly happy and live in sin. And I would also add the other things that we looked at there. Emptiness, dissatisfaction, and crisis. We cannot be truly happy and live in sin, emptiness, dissatisfaction, and crisis. The happiness of man must come through his righteousness. His being right with God, with man, and with himself. And so this is what God would have us to do when we've tasted the bitterness of the difficulties of our world, or what we might call the vegetables of life. God wants us to let them lead us closer to him. One of my favorite prayers is written by a man named Thomas Akempis, and this is the first third of it. I want to read it, and you can just listen. Listen carefully and see if you could say this. Almost oh, sweet and loving Lord, whom I now devoutly wish to receive. You know my weaknesses and my needs. You know how many bad habits and vices I have. You know how often I am burdened, tempted, shaken, and stained by sin. I come to you for healing. I pray to you for comfort and support. I speak to you who know all things, to whom all my inmost thoughts are evident, you alone can adequately comfort me and help me. You know what good things I need most, and you know how poor I am in virtue. Look, I stand before you poor and naked, asking your grace and imploring your mercy. Feed me, for I am hungry. And so it begins for us that if we want to have this hunger for God, we ask him, feed me. We acknowledge our hunger. We ask him to satisfy us with things that this world cannot satisfy us with. We ask him to help us to perceive the reality that he can and does and will not only forgive us, but lead us in a good life. And we can pray sincerely this prayer. God wants us to be satisfied. God wants you to be satisfied. The world has a certain satisfaction definition, but I believe the Bible's is different, and this is so important. I believe that what the Bible and what God teaches us is that satisfaction is not a feeling. Satisfaction is not a feeling, but a choice. Satisfaction is not a feeling about just feeling good, but it's about a choice of doing what is right and what is best. And so we've asked a couple of questions, and now we have the third one. What is the object of our hunger? In other words, what really satisfies me? What's the object of my hunger? You've heard the saying before, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. And I think that's pretty true. Well, if it be true, then also it would be said that what we hunger for is what we are. We are what we eat, and we are what we hunger for. Because we will long for that which we think will satisfy us. And so Jesus wants us to be deeply satisfied. 
And he tells us that we can be deeply satisfied in the midst of a very difficult life by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. For righteousness. Open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Matthew 6, 31. And and I want you to highlight that in your Bible, even though I'm going to have the verse up here on the screen. I want you to highlight it in your Bible if you have a, a written Bible or highlight it on your phone. Because Jesus says, regarding this world, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? These are things that are natural for us to We worry about what we're going to eat. We worry about what we're going to drink. We worry about what we're going to wear. And you're going, no, I don't. I worry, uh, but I don't worry about these things. Because I have plenty, right? I don't. I mean, what are you going to eat for lunch today? Are you going to eat the food here or something better? And go out. You don't worry about it, right? You just like if I don't like it here, I just I'll go to McDonald's. Right? You don't worry about what you're going to drink, do you? I mean, I don't. I have water right here, and I have water in my car in case of emergency. And you know, I don't worry about what I wear because I have plenty of clothes in my closet. So, so what does that mean to you and to me? It means for you and to me to be thankful, for one, but also to realize that where I do worry, wherever it is that I worry, God has already taken care of everything else that I need. He's given me food. He's given me drink. He's given me clothes. And yet I still worry, don't I? There's so many other things in life I worry about. If we were to worry, I think Jesus says, well, why don't you worry about the things that really matter? What you eat and what you drink and what you wear. But God says, you know what? I'm taking care of those things for you. And so I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to worry. But because you have all of your needs met, Because you have them all met, this is what I really want. And these are the things that will help us to receive the object of our hunger. These are the things that God says and defines as being what righteousness is. And this verse, maybe you've heard it before, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God wants us to seek him, to overcome all the worries that we may have in life. God wants to use our lives so that we seek the things that are lasting to God. What is God's righteousness? Now remember, we're talking about Jesus saying it. So we don't have Paul's word yet in the New Testament. What Jesus had was the Old Testament. And what Jesus is referring to is the Old Testament, the Old Testament definition of righteousness and the Old definition, the Old Testament definition of kingdom. And what that was was God's covenant faithfulness that was taught in the law and the prophets. And those would be things like justice and mercy and faithfulness and holiness and loving kindness. God wants us to have these things, and he wants us to seek these things in life, to seek justice, to give mercy, to be a faithful person, to be separate and different from the world, 
And to have a love for other people that surpasses the love of this world. Where we love the unlovable. And we love those who don't deserve it. God wants us to seek first his kingdom. And he says this will bring us the satisfaction that we long for. God also has something for us to do. And you've heard before, it's the golden rule. But it says, so every, in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. These are Jesus' words. These are his words referring back to the Old Testament. He wants us to know that there are things that we do, and what we do is what we want other people to do to us. These are things that satisfy us, not to meet our needs, but to satisfy the needs of others. And lastly, Jesus wants us to love. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor. It's not enough just to love God. We also have to love others. We need God to give us this desire to have the object of our hunger to be Him. To be His righteousness. God wants us to be satisfied in Him. And so if we're dissatisfied, we're not far from receiving what God wants us to have because it's that dissatisfaction that leads us to ask God for the things we really want. The second part of this prayer from Thomas Kempis says this. And you can listen again and I'll read it. Inflame my coldness with the fire of your love. Illuminate my blindness with the light of your presence. Turn my eyes from all that is not you. Turn all oppression into patience. Make all that leads me from you not worth thinking about. Make me forget it all. Lift up my heart to you in heaven. And let me not wander aimlessly about the world. From now on, you will be my only delight. You alone are my food and my drink, my love and my joy, my sweetness and my whole good. And as we looked at the love that Jesus spoke about, we realized that it will come back to us. Because as we love others, others will reflect that love back to us. And as we give Jesus' love, we will find that satisfaction. The object of our hunger is Jesus himself. And it has amazing and promising results. It is absolutely guaranteed that God will satisfy us. That's what Jesus says. That if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, he will satisfy us. And the satisfaction, this word satisfied means to be gorged. Have you ever been gorged? Like maybe you've been on a cruise and you went to the buffet or you could have all that you wanted to eat and the saver brought it to you. Or maybe you went to one of those really fancy buffets at um, Las Vegas and you just ate all the food that you want. And you just felt so gorgeous. Like, oh, I can't even move. It was so good and I feel so sick. Oh, I ate so much. Well, Jesus says there's another kind of gorge where you don't feel sick. 
There's a kind of gorging where you feel satisfied. There's a kind of gorging where not only do you feel satisfied, but you're like, I can still eat more. How good is this? And not only that, I want to eat more. I'm satisfied, and yet I'm not fully satisfied. In John chapter 6, 35, would you read this with me? Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hungry, and he who believes me will never be thirsty. And what Jesus is saying to us is, it's not just one time, but we keep on coming to him to eat. We keep on coming to him to drink. We keep on eating. We keep on drinking. And we continually are filled and we continually are satisfied. And then we will experience this blessedness that he talks about, this satisfaction guaranteed. Why is this person so happy? Why is this person who puts God first and puts others ahead of himself so happy? Because one, they have the right value of what really matters in life. They know that which is truly meaningful. And they found value in giving of themselves to others. They also have the right heart. And their heart no longer feels empty or condemned. They know that they're forgiven. They know they can be forgiving. They are giving to God and others because their heart is right. And not only that, they're enjoying life because they also have the right hunger. I love to eat good food. I don't know if I'm really qualified to be a foodie, but I love to try different types of food and go to different places and eat different things and enjoy different tastes. And God says that the most meaningful, expansive life you can have You will have more enjoyment in so many unique ways. You'll have so many different types of food, things that you've never tasted before. Like for those who are going to Taiwan, they've never been to Taiwan, they're going to taste something, not just food, but experience that they've never had before. Those who are at YSMP who have never been there before, or those who went for the first time, they got to experience something that they never experienced before. Those of us who go on mission trips get to go and do things that we'll never experience in any other way. Not only will we eat different foods, we're going to meet different people. And our lives are going to be satisfied. And we're going to want more. And the hunger is going to grow. And the things that we shouldn't be hungry for, we won't hunger for anymore. It's like when somebody finally goes on a health food diet and they really stick with it. They don't want to go back to junk food. Because they feel so good. Someday maybe a person. (laughs) But I do know, as I eat better foods, that I am feeling as a better human being within myself. But I also know that when I do the things of God, and I hunger for the things of God, and I give them to other people, that they are satisfied and they are filled And that is satisfying, even to the giver. And lastly, you'll know you have the right mission in life. You'll know what you want to do. You'll know what you should do. You know why you're here on earth. Jesus says, and again, we'll look at this in just a little bit in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, your light, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
Jesus says you are light. Jesus says we are light. Jesus says we can spread our light in the world. And that this is what is truly satisfying to live for God. And so I began my sermon telling you my goal. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? If you are or if you want to be, listen to the final part of Thomas Akempis' prayer. Oh, that by your presence you would set me fully on fire, totally consume me and transform me into you so that through the grace of inner union and by the melting of love's flames, I would become one spirit with you. Do not leave me hungry and thirsty, but treat me mercifully as you have so often and so admirably treated your saints. How wonderful it would be if I were burned and wholly consumed for you, since you are fire always burning and never consumed, a love that purifies the heart and enlightens the mind. God is the satisfaction of our lives and the fulfilling of it and the fullness of it. I'm going to leave this up here through our time of communion so you can continue to, to dwell on it, meditate on it. We're going to get ready to, to take up the Lord's Supper. And what a wonderful day for us to be able to do that.